Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, July 27th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 22. With their governor murdered and the threat of Babylonian retaliation on their minds, the tiny remnant in Judah finally consults with the prophet Jeremiah. The word from the Lord he speaks is clear. Stay in Judah. Don't go to Egypt. Tell us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today. We have with us returning guest, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Pastor Wolfmuller serves at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Pastor Wolfmuller, welcome back to Sharper Iron. You're welcome. Hey, I like how you used to send me a note that said, hey, could you send me some outlines of what we're talking about? And you just <laughs> gave up on that totally. You're like, well, just wing it. <laughs> <laughs> try to try to get to know the guests at, and the the tendencies. So yeah, <laughs> That's fantastic. So so Jeremiah forty two, Pastor Wolf Mueller, and and we uh, we were just talking before we we got on the air that this is not the most well known section of God's word. Unfortunately, we we should know it better. We're in a, a time period that that sometimes we neglect after five eighty seven B C the destruction of Jerusalem. Sometimes we just skip forward to the decree of Cyrus in 539 when they start to come back. But there's some aftermath that happens, and that's where we are right now. So as we prepare to look at chapter 42 today, help us with the context. What do we need to know going into this chapter? It's kind of like a wild, wild west, or almost maybe like a Mad Max story. So so, um, the Babylonians have destroyed the temple. They've wrecked Jerusalem. But not everybody was taken into exile. There was the, some farmers left behind, some poor. Uh, they took most of the educated and wealthy and successful people, whoop, but they left some people to tend the land. And they put this fellow Gedaliah as a as the governor there. He seems like he moved the capital um, down the road from Jerusalem to Mizpah, and um, uh, and probably you know Jerusalem is still burning and smoldering. And it seems like there's these sort of roving bands of soldiers going al- around by by led by these various captains so uh, maybe it, it even sort of reminds you how david had his mighty men and he was wandering around in the wilderness and they would come together or or even some robin hood stuff and it's a it's a wild kind of time there's it's not a very orderly time and um and there's one of the captains is a fellow named ishmael who is plotting against gedaliah this is going to come to the fore in a little bit. And and Johanan, who's another one of these captains, comes to Gedaliah and says, hey, and you probably covered this in the in the last few days, but it's great to kind of look over it. He, sa- he says to Gedaliah, hey, Ishmael's plotting with the Ammonites to destroy you. Gedaliah doesn't believe it. So they're sitting at dinner and Ishmael says, okay, kill him. And he kills Gedaliah, the governor, and he kills all the men with him. And this is, and then he goes, and they're even kind of taken over the city. And the next day, these eighty pilgrims come from the north, from Israel, and they they're like, "Hey, we came to offer sacrifices at the temple. Apparently, there's no temple anymore." And then, and then Ishmael kills those guys, minus ten of them, who said, we, "You know, we stuffed some grain and hid it from the Babylonians so that we could show you where the food is." So they bribe them to not kill them, but they kill all the rest of these guys, throw them in a cistern. It's terrible stuff. And Johanan says that now this can't be, so he goes. And he brings his, with a few other captains and a few little armies, he brings them against Ishmael, and he kills them, kills Ishmael, and all the guys with him that had done this evilness. And then they're sitting there, and they say, well, okay, now what are we going to do? Because when the king, when Nebuchadnezzar finds out that his governor, Gedaliah, is murdered, then he's not going to be pleased with that. He's probably going to come and you know, lower the boom on us. So we better, we better book it out of here. So they make plans to go down to Egypt and escape the presumable wrath that's going to come from Nebuchadnezzar. But they decide, since Jeremiah, they got a prophet there, you might as well check with him first. So the prophet's there, so they say, well, before we leave for Egypt, let's see what the prophet says. And that's the setup for our chapter. So our chapter 42 is going to be the conversation between Jeremiah 
and Johanan and his forces who have just revenged the murder of Gedaliah by Ishmael, by killing Ishmael and his men. And, and they're going to say to Jeremiah, what does the Lord say that we can do? So they come to Jeremiah, they ask him, and the Lord waits 10 days and then gives him an answer, which you kind of hinted at before. But there's some richness in the answer that Jeremiah gives because the Lord says to him, well, here's what you should do. But you've never done anything I suggested. So, <laughs> so go ahead. You know, you, you you guys are in trouble. Anyways, so that that's the that's the drama that's gonna unfold in our chapter. So I like the the thinking about this as a wild, wild west type of, of situation, Mad Max. I think those are, are very helpful images to have in our minds. One of the the thoughts that I've had, at least when you think of the scriptural narrative, is another place where you could compare that comes to my mind. This these chapters of Jeremiah have a judges type yeah, feel to them. Right. That's right. Particularly those last couple of chapters, although I mean really throughout the book of Judges, there's a, a wild, wild west to it. But those last several chapters where the refrain is, you know, there's no king in the land and everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like the same thing is happening here. So when we, and maybe this is just a question of, of chapters like that in the scriptures, when we encounter texts like that from the scriptures, what do we do with them? How do we take those and use those as Christians? Well, it's I, I suppose it's helpful for us to remember that the baseline of fallen human society is chaos and war. So that mm-hmm. liberty and peace are achievements. And if you just let culture and civilization and humanity just kind of go to their neutral state, uh, then it is this state of chaos, this state of, of trouble. Uh, it's, uh, it's, this is maybe, you know, one of the differences, if you want to just think politically a little bit, one of the big differences we see in the political conversation today is that what, what do we understand as, as human neutral? If you just if you don't add anything else to the situation, what do you get? And a lot of times, the people who tend towards progressivism have a very optimistic view of human neutral. This goes maybe back to Rousseau and the idea of the noble savage and and all this sort of stuff. That if you just let people alone, they're basically good. And civilization is a um, is a force that that brings out the worst in people. Uh, the conservative and maybe probably the majority opinion in Western civilization informed by the scriptures is that no humanity has fallen and the basic state of humanity human neutral is is chaos and war and murder and and violence and and all this trouble and so when you see something like the throne of david which had stood since well when did david get on the throne 10 10 bc until 586 587 so it's a almost 500 years it's 430 something year uh, rule of that particular house, that dynasty of King David. But then when that's gone, now um, it's, it, it, st- it starts to fall into this chaos of, of human neutral and this all this trouble. So it, it, it reminds me of what Luther says in the prayer for daily bread. And he says that all the kings, instead of having like lions and swords on their shields, should have a loaf of bread on their shield because it's through the rulers that we're provided with peace and that we can go and plow the ground and, and have something to eat and things could go well with us. And we see the opposite of that. For example, when you look at the, the countries that are generally in famine, they're in famine not because they lack the resources to feed the people, but rather because the, they're in the midst of a civil war or some other sort of trouble like that that has caused the, the famine to come about. So I suppose it, it, it reminds us of the importance of, of human government and of the work that's required to, for the world to be at peace. Well, and I think theologically thinking as well, the way Jeremiah has been preaching throughout this book, what, is it, what does it look like for the Lord to be your God and for you to be his people? He's called Judah back and back and back to that, to return to that reality that the Lord gave to his people in the book of Exodus. They refuse to return to that. And so theologically, I think we're also getting a picture of, well, what does it look like when everyone thinks they are their own God? Right. And it's it's not a pretty picture. I mean, so I think both of those things are happening at the same time. What does it look like when there's no king? And ultimately, what does it look like when the Lord is not God? Well, this is what it looks like. Now, in our text, as you you already have, have 
revealed. You know, we're going to see now Jeremiah speak, calling them back toward the reality, although it doesn't seem holding out much hope that they'll actually listen because they haven't all along. Any, any more introductory thoughts, yeah, responses to that before we dig into chapter 42? We'll remember how the Lord warned the people through Moses. He said, look, if you keep my commandments, things are going to go well. You'll be blessed and both in spiritually and physically. There's old covenant stuff, but then if you don't keep my commandments, and most especially the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. If you don't keep that commandment, then there's going to be these layers of trouble, deprivation, then desolation, then deportation, then destruction at last. So they're in the midst of this deportation. There's only one step left is destruction. And so the people have failed to keep God's law, especially they failed to acknowledge God as the Lord. And now all of these uh, troubles are coming upon them for that. But it is amazing to see that even here in the midst of all of this trouble, the Lord is calling them back to repentance and he's and he's calling them back, in fact, to the to the country. It's amazing to see. And so we can see that um, that the Lord will chastise, but his mercy is new every morning. And that's the sort of the lamentation context of this particular uh, this particular section of, of Jeremiah. All right, we are in Jeremiah chapter 42, beginning of the first verse. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan the son of Kariah, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest, came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you, and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few, as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go, and the thing that we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. And whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord, our God. At the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I got, I'll pause there, yep. Pastor Wolf Mueller. That's the kind of the opening scene. So the all these people are gathered together. We've got these couple of military commanders who are in charge, and they, they asked Jeremiah, which it strikes me that they finally asked Jeremiah. I don't know why they've waited so long, but they, they finally asked Jeremiah, hey, pray for us. Let us know what, what we should do. Jeremiah says, okay, I'll do it. They said, great, we're going to do whatever God says. Yeah. And then it takes yeah. 10 days. That's right. So take us into some of this. Yeah, that's right. It's so great. It reminds you just of like the people when they come to Mount Sinai and they say, whatever the Lord says, we'll do. And then the Lord says what to do. And they're like, oh, maybe we <laughs> we're over optimistic. <laughs> but you get the same <laughs> sense here because they want to go to Egypt. And, uh, <laughs> and they, but they are say, well, Let's maybe ask the Lord if that's what we should do, because they want the Lord to say, yeah, go to Egypt. <laughs> or they say, whatever he says, if it's good or bad, if it's go to Egypt or not go to Egypt, if he tells us to stay or go, we'll do whatever he says. And uh, you can almost see Jeremiah saying, all right, <laughs> I'll ask. He knows what's going to happen. I mean, Jeremiah could have probably predicted this even if he wasn't a prophet, because he knows he knows the Lord and he knows these guys and he knows the human heart. So they want confirmation of what they want to do already. Now the Lord this I mean, spoiler alert, the Lord's not going to give it to them. And, the, and so the test is coming. Are they going to follow the word of the Lord? Are they going to follow the, their own devices? But, mm -hmm. uh, um, but you're right. It is good that they go to the prophet and ask, but this shows, I mean, this is this, it's kind of like, um, you know, sometimes I'll do this when, the kids can't make a decision. And so they, I mean, say, say, take something silly. Like we don't know if we want to get, um, a Chinese food or Mexican food. And I, like, ah, I just, I just 50, 50, 50, 50. And I said, well, just pick one, flip a coin. And what, you know, what happens is you flip the coin and it lands on Mexican food. And you're like, no, I want Chinese. <laughs> so that clarifies it. You know, you make the choice and then you can see if the choice is right or wrong. So, so that's kind of what they're doing here. The Lord's going to come back They're Like we are kind of torn. We're going to see what the Lord is. But then when the choice comes back, they said, ah, that's why we remember. We don't like to follow what the Lord says. So, so it's good that they asked Jeremiah. The problem is, I, I don't know if they don't have the intention of following him, or we know at least that they're hoping that the Lord is going to confirm their own ideas. 
But that's a very dangerous thing. You know, I mean, that's, so many people read the Bible that way, right? I'm going to go to the Bible to confirm my own ideas. But it's those places in the Bible where, where the Lord disagrees with us, where the Lord disagrees with our culture, or the Lord disagrees with our, um, you know, our own desires or our own plots. It's the place where we disagree with the Lord. That's where we know that we're dealing with God's word. If the Bible just would come and tell us everything that we wanted to do, if the Lord's commandments were live how you want, we're like, well, right, well, I can keep that commandment. Then we know we we wouldn't be dealing with God's word, just a projection of our own ideas. But we want to always be careful about those places where uh, God's ideas about things are different than our ideas about things, because that's where the rub is, and that's where the test is, and that's where faith kicks in, too. In that way, what happens here at the beginning of the chapter reminds me a lot of Jeremiah's interactions with King Zedekiah toward the very end of Zedekiah's reign. There were multiple occasions, or at least multiple accounts, of when Zedekiah would come to Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, please pray, or Jeremiah, is there a word from the Lord? And and every time, Zedekiah got the same answer. And the answer was, surrender to the Babylonians if you want to live. If you want to die, keep fighting, try to run away, and, and that's what will happen. You'll die by the sword. And, and it's, it strikes me that something similar is happening here not long after Zedekiah has met his end and been taken to Babylon, now blind, that these people who are still here in Judah, it seems, have come to Jeremiah with that same very attitude. Well, let's kind of check the boxes and let's hope that the Lord's going to give us the answer that we want. And, and no surprise, Jeremiah, the answer that he's going to give from the Lord, sticks with what he's been preaching all along. And, and I mean, it, I think it, re, it emphasizes some things that we've, we've talked about with that with Zedekiah, that as you said, those places where our thoughts disagree with what the Lord says, that's where we have to be careful, because that is where we are very prone to make God in our own image, to, to transform his word, or just to ignore it all together and just go our own way and do what we want to do, because that's what we were going to do anyways. And we're just asking God as a show in hopes that hopefully he agrees with us. But if not, eh, we'll just do what we want. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. It's like playing a game with the kids and they need a seven, or so they roll the dice until they get a seven. That's the kind of, that's what they expect from the prophet. You know, we're going to go and pull this we're going to pull the profit lever and hope that we get a jackpot. And we're just going to keep pulling it until we hit the jackpot. No, this is not how the Lord works. And the Lord refuses to be made a tool of the king uh, like that. And he still refuses to do that. I, you know, we, we all have this tendency in our own sinful flesh, but we, you can see it in, uh, in, especially in higher criticism, which just full on comes along and says, you know, the Lord works through... Um, the Lord speaks through culture, which basically means culture is God. And and any time the Bible would contradict the culture, we just throw out the scriptures. It's it's an amazing sort sort of thing is to is to refuse to let yourself be confronted or assaulted by the word of God. Um, so that's why Jeremiah is always in prison, you know, in the pit. That's right, and and he's and he's in a slightly better situation here. He, granted, he is he's with these people who will eventually drag him to Egypt, whether he likes it or not. Again, right. spoiler alert. <laughs> but what what do you what do you make of the the ten day waiting period that the Lord gives to Jeremiah there in verse seven? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, it's I mean, the Lord is never in a hurry. We know that. Um. So it's kind of a, he just sort of says, should cool your jets. I mean, the Lord could have given him an answer right away, so he wants him to wait for 10 days, but I don't know. Same, same I mean, we have the apostles waiting for 10 days for the Holy Spirit to come on the day of Pentecost. Um, I can't think of any other 10 days. Is it 10 days that uh, that Daniel is waiting for the angel to come and answer his prayers? I, I think that might be two weeks, There's but there's this time between the petition and the answer, and we're always living in the 10 days. I mean, we're always waiting for the Lord to answer our prayers, because if you, you know, if we're asking something, it's because we don't have it. So th- this is this Christian life of, of waiting, and um, and I suppose the waiting there is a a, a bit of a test as well to see, are, are you going to wait for the Lord or not? They do, but again, they're waiting and hoping for what they want, not not for what they don't want, and they end up getting what they don't want. 
one of the things that I was reminded of by the the 10 days was back in Jeremiah chapter 28, you have the prophet Hananiah who comes at Jeremiah with the false teaching about, you know, the yoke's going to be broken. Don't worry about it. And and Jeremiah does have some back and forth, but after Hananiah, he he very dramatically breaks the yoke bars that Jeremiah had made. After that, Jeremiah doesn't respond. He just goes his way. And it's after some time that the word of the Lord actually comes to him. Mm. And it it was it was a reminder to me, at least when we talked about that text, that Jeremiah there didn't respond in anger or with a desire for revenge, but responded as a, a faithful prophet, as one who actually related the word of the Lord when he received it, when he heard it. And it, it seems that maybe here the 10 days is is a reminder again of that faithfulness of Jeremiah, that that he's not going to speak on his own. He's not going to just tell the people what they want to hear, but he's actually going to wait to receive the word of the Lord and then to relate it faithfully, which is is probably the reason that he's here in the first place. Back in, I think if we go back a little bit farther in the history before where you started earlier, Pastor Wolfmuller, Jeremiah, remember, was given the choice by the Babylonian commander whether he wanted to go to Babylon or remain there in Judah. And Jeremiah remained there in Judah as that faithful prophet for those people. And man, if ever there was a moment where it would have been to his earthly benefit to to just get rid of the faithfulness to the Lord and do what the people wanted, here's one of those moments. Mm -hmm. And yet once again, he proves himself the faithful prophet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. It's, um, I, that, that's a great point. So, Jeremiah is not his own man. It's the false prophets, Jeremiah says, who speak a vision of their own heart and who run when the Lord hasn't sent them. And so the true prophet is waiting for the word of the Lord to come. That's a wonderful point, Timothy. And I think also it's great to to see this language, the word of the Lord. I, I think, I mean, I don't know how you imagine that in, in your own imagination, but I, I think it's helpful. I just think of Here's what my imagination does, and I think it's wrong. My imagination sees Jeremiah sitting there at a desk or something, and then all of a sudden it comes clear to him what's true, like an insight. But I think the better way to actually think of this is just to think that Jesus walks up. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Just That means Jesus. He's the word of the Lord. In the, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So in ten, after 10 days, Jesus came to talk to Jeremiah and tell him what to say. And so Jesus comes and says, okay, Here's what I want you to do. I, I, it's been a while since I've recalled that conversation, but way back at the beginning in chapter one, I was talking with Dr. Seleska about this very thing. And, and he had a very similar suggestion that, that however we imagine the word of the Lord coming to the prophet, it's probably a more physical thing than, than we, uh, we would normally otherwise imagine. I think we've, we've kind of been trained to think of this in a, a very non-physical way, but I, I think, you know, imagining, and again, I, I suppose you can't say this for certain from the text, but, but imagining it as a, you know, a conversation between Jeremiah and Jesus, I, I think is, is faithful or you know, imagine there's other places in the scriptures where prophets are, are said to be in the council of the Lord. And, mm -hmm. and they're actually, there listening to God in his, in his heavenly throne room. Mm -hmm. And, and again, that's not the language that's given specifically there in verse seven, but it, it seems wise or it seems reasonable to think that when the word of the Lord does come in a case like this, this is simply that same thing happening again. This is Jesus giving the word to Jeremiah and he's going to report it faithfully here. That's right. It's the um it's that's Jeremiah twenty three where he discussed that the false prophets are the yeah. ones who haven't stood in the council of the Lord. The true prophets are the ones that have. So to to be there and to hear, to overhear the conversation between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's what it means to be a prophet. They you hear the Lord talking, and then you go and say, "Here's what, here's what the conversation's about in the throne room," and I'm here to make it known to you. All right, so we got a couple minutes here before the break, Pastor Wolf Mueller. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the rest of the text. I think then that'll put us right up against the break, and we'll talk about it on the other side. So we left off. This is Jeremiah 42, beginning at verse eight. Then he, that's Jeremiah, summoned Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. 
I will grant you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there, then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. All the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, As my anger and my wrath were poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You shall become an execration, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. You shall see this place no more. The Lord has said to you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know for a certainty that I have warned you this day that you have gone astray at the cost of your lives. For you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and whatever the Lord our God says, declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God in anything that he sent me to tell you. Now therefore, know for a certainty that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to live. That's the end of Jeremiah chapter 42. We do need to take our break, but we will look at that answer from Jeremiah on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller about Jeremiah 42. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, July 27th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 22 with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. He's the pastor at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Pastor Wolfmuller, prior to the break, we read the answer that Jeremiah speaks to Johanan the commanders and all the people. So they're, they're all there. It is a small group of remnants, but they're all there and they're listening to what Jeremiah says. And he says, here's what God says. And, and I think it, you know, you can break it down into to parts pretty easily. Well, me, you tell me, mm-hmm. how would you structure his answer here? Well, you got three parts, but you, I mean, you, it's a, it's a way question. Here's the two ways that you have. You got two options uh, in front of you. You can stay here in, in Judah, Jerusalem, or you can go down to Egypt, which was always, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, um, like ever since the people of Israel came out of Egypt, it's always been this idea that we can go back. <laughs> It'll be better there. Even in the, in the wilderness, like, oh, remember in Egypt, all the cucumbers? I don't know why they, like, they're so stuck on their cucumbers. And like, we got to go back and eat those Egyptian cucumbers instead of this manna and whatever. And, uh, and always it's plan B, even Isaiah, next generation. It's going to be getting that. Quit looking to Egypt. Egypt is a is a breaking rod. You're going to lean on Egypt. It's going to break and cut your hand. It's not going to be helpful. But they always think, oh, we'll be safe down in Egypt. Let's go down to Egypt. We'll fish. We'll retire down there. It'll be great. And the Lord says, nope. So here's the options you got. You can stay there in Jerusalem, and I will make sure I will have mercy on you. The king of Babylon won't destroy you. He'll let you stay there. I promise. Or... You cannot believe me. And this is the real problem, right? It wasn't just that going down to Egypt was wrong. It's going down to Egypt was idolatrous because going down to Egypt meant that they didn't trust the Lord. They didn't specifically trust this promise that Jeremiah was giving them from the mouth of the Lord. So they're going to trust themselves. They're going to run away from the problem. They're going to, they're going to not trust the Lord to make this thing happen. And, and if they do that, they're going to die in Egypt. The Lord says, look, I just, I've just visited Jerusalem with my wrath, and then I'll come and visit Egypt with my wrath. It's not going to be a vacation. It's not. You're not going to escape trouble down in Egypt. I can, 
I can reach you. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar can reach you just fine down there. So here's the two ways. You can follow my voice and you can live, or you can not follow my voice and die. And it's always that two choices. I mean, this is the sort of beauty of Hebrew literature and and maybe even of the Bible too. It's It has all these marks of the Deuteronomy I set, 32. I set before you two ways, the way of life and the way of death, the way of faith and the way of unbelief, the way of righteousness and the way of the way of the flesh. And and now it's before you clear. Are you going to trust in the Lord's promise? Even though it doesn't seem like it just, to look at it with human eyes, their plan makes sense. It, it, they would be a lot safer under the shadow of the Pharaoh hiding behind the pyramids in Egypt. But and to, and to stay there as they are plotting it out, they're like, well, I think Nebuchadnezzar is going to be pretty upset about this whole arrangement of Gedaliah being buried in a cistern under 70 faithful Israelites and all this other trouble. So it makes sense through human eyes that their their best chance is to go to Egypt, but the Lord looks at things differently. And when the prophet tells you how the Lord looks at things, you want to pay attention to that. So Jeremiah puts before him two ways, and then he says, but I already know what you're going to decide. You're going to make the wrong choice. You're going to run away to Egypt, and it's going to be terrible. And that's because that's, that's what you always do. Every time I tell you to do something, it, uh, you don't listen to it. It's it's why, um, Timothy, I don't teach about cremation anymore because I do, I, I've had this experience where like, people ask in Bible class about cremation. I'll say, okay, who wants to be cremated? And maybe, I don't know, a fourth of the people want to be cremated. And then I'll try to talk people out of being cremated and into being buried. And then at the end of the class, I'm like, now who wants to be cremated? And like, 75% of the people would prefer to be cremated. And so so my whole thing backfires. And uh, so I don't want to do it anymore. I don't even want to talk about it because it backfires on people. So this is this is how it is with Jeremiah. He's like, all right, I'm going to tell you the right thing to do, but you're going to do the wrong thing because you always don't listen to me. You always do the precise opposite of what I command you. And, and that, sure enough, the Lord prophesies that. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing to see how... The Lord says, okay, you should do this or and not that, but you're not going to listen to me. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even give them a chance to mess it up before he tells them that they're going to mess it up. I think that that last comment that you made there, it reminds me of, of the reason that, you know, Jeremiah, I think it's in chapter 20, where he talks about how he wanted to shut the Lord's word up. He wanted to hold it in. And, and you could picture why he would have, because he knew they weren't going to listen anyways, and it was causing him such trouble. And yet the the faithfulness of the prophet, you know, he couldn't hold it in. He he simply had to preach, which I think is an you know, amazing testimony again to his, his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of, of thoughts on, on some of the things you, you brought up, this matter of returning to Egypt and how they, they always want to go back, which again, you can you just not long after they've left, they're already wanting to go back. It was only a couple of chapters previous in Jeremiah where Zedekiah is looking to Egypt for help. And there's other places, as you said, Prophet Isaiah deals with this as well, that they, they always want to go back to Egypt. Why why is that? Is there a is there something in there of this? And I'm thinking about, you know, they were slaves in Egypt. Is there a, a certain comfort to being a slave? Or and it's not real, but a deceptive, a lie that, that somehow slavery is better than what the Lord offers? Maybe. I don't know. I was thinking about that a little bit. I've got to be careful in pushing this too far. But there is a sense that, you know, when we think about slavery in the Old Testament, for example, uh, if you owed somebody so much money that you couldn't pay, we had to go be their slave. But at the same time, they would have to take you in and they would have to provide you a home and clothes and shoes and food and drink. And so the, the, your your master would meet your basic necessities while you worked for him to pay the debt that you owed. And so there was a it was a reciprocal relationship between the slave and the master. And so I suppose there was a, a way that that arrangement, w- when you are really in trouble, that that arrangement is helpful for you. It's much more merciful than the arrangement that we have now, which is there's there's no reciprocity. If you owe somebody money and you can't pay back, that's no, you just it doesn't matter. They, there's they have no responsibility towards you. Um, the debtor, the debtee, has no responsibility to the debtor except to collect, and the debt the one who owes that the only responsibility they have to pay. And so that reciprocity between in that financial relationship that ends up in slavery um, was. Uh, even though it's not a good situation, there's something to it. And 
and I don't know if that's what's behind it, this the people's desire to go down to Egypt or or if it's just that the 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 it seems like Israel they had the experience of Egypt at the height of its power. I mean, especially when Joseph was ruling in Egypt. So when an Israelite was ruling in Egypt, it was at the it was at the height of its power and the height of its glory. And and it seems like maybe they remember that. But Egypt has grown weaker and weaker every generation, but they still remember it at the height of its power. So it's like remembering the guy who was a bully in high school, and then you meet him, you run into him 30 years later, and he's a mess. That's that's Egypt. So they, they remember Egypt from high school. <laughs> and uh, and he's, Egypt is not going to be much help anymore. But they just won't. They can't believe it. No, no. Egypt was. They were strong. They they were able to conquer back then, and all this other stuff. So sure that they are now. They are now. And the point is, I mean, even if Egypt was in its full glory, if the Lord decided to conquer Egypt, he'll do it. It's not like anyone's going to stand in the way of the Lord. But they have this funny memory of Egypt, and so they are always. Again, I mean, even you know before this and after this, whenever these other great world, great world powers come along then they look to Egypt as like the as like their ringer. Uh, he's the guy he's the designated hitter that will call in in the ninth inning and, and they'll hit a home run for us that their hope was in Egypt and and so the Lord is always preaching don't don't hope in Egypt don't hope in princes don't hope in horses don't hope in military might don't hope in gold don't hope in power hope and hope alone in the Lord that's it he's the only one you are authorized to put your hope in but the people are always putting their hope in all these other places. Right. And this is a problem that has been ongoing for the people of Judah. And like you were saying from the very get go of getting out of Egypt, Zedekiah had the same problem. These people right after the fall of Jerusalem have the same problem. Let's, let's dig into the answer that Jeremiah gives in those sections. The, the first part is very striking to me that the Lord is going, I mean, he sets before them this beautiful promise of mercy that stay here and and it will go well with you. And, and we get this language in verse 10 that I think you want to talk a little bit more about. It's language that goes all the way back to Jeremiah's call that the Lord says, look, if you listen to my voice and you stay here, I'm going to build you up, not going to pull you down. I'm going to plant you. I'm not going to pluck you up. And, and the disaster that had happened, it's done for. And don't be afraid. I'm going to show you mercy. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he's going to be merciful too. It's really a marvelous promise, giving everything that they've gone through. And, and now even knowing what they're going to do, that the, he gives this promise. It's really quite stunning. Right. How, how, you know, this is the promise that we've been waiting for. This is the gospel that yeah. we've been waiting for Jeremiah to preach. And finally, he preaches the gospel. And they're like, nah, we don't, we don't, we don't believe it. <laughs> oh. But it's the this language of planting versus pulling up and building versus tearing down is language that runs all the way through the prophet. Uh, you, you mentioned it's there at his call. It's, I, I think especially about this key vision, or it's, it's not even a vision. It's just the key parable that the Lord gives to Jeremiah when he sends him down in chapter 18 to the potter's house. And he says, go to the potter, house, watch the potter. And so the potter's there, he's making something, uh, bowl or something. And something's goofy in the clay, and so the potter changes his mind, and he makes a plate or something like that. Usually, you get the idea. He he intends to make one thing, but he finds an imperfection in the clay or something good or bad about the clay, and he changes his mind and makes something different. And then the Lord says, "I'm like the potter. If I come along and I prophesy good, that I'm going to plant you and build you up, but you do evil, then I'm going to tear you down." And if I promise and come to tear you down and pull you up, but you repent, then I'm going to build you up. So the Lord tells the people through Jeremiah, I mean, tells, shows this to Jeremiah very clearly, that if I promise you destruction, it's not because I want to destroy you. It's not even because I am going to destroy you. It's because I want you to repent so that I won't destroy you. And if I promise you a blessing... It doesn't. It's not a guarantee that you're going to get the blessing. It's not an. It's, let me say it this way: If I promise you a blessing, it's not giving you an excuse to do whatever you want. No, I'm going to give you that blessing. But if you go and do wickedly, then you're going to 
get what wickedness deserves. And so, and then immediately after that, the Lord gives that parable to the potter, and then he tells Jeremiah, okay, now go tell the people I'm going to destroy them <laughs> so that they would repent. This is the point. The preaching of destruction is different than the act of destruction. The preaching of destruction is for the purpose of repentance. And the preaching of blessing is different than giving blessing. The preaching of blessing is the occasion of faith, not abusing the gospel. And so this language of building up and tearing down and the context in which we are to receive the prophetic preaching is outlined there in the potter, and that language is going to come back up. So he's going to say, okay, look, if you stay here, I'll bless you. I'll build you up. I'll give you all uh, these great promises. If you don't, if you go down to Egypt, then you'll be plucked up and torn down. And so he's using that same language of building up or tearing down that, again, he's using all the way through to give them these two options. Yeah, that and the, the first option, again, I think it, I mean, when you think about just how horrific an experience these people have gone through in the destruction of Jerusalem, and they've, they've watched their most beloved things be destroyed in front of their eyes, and they've been now languishing under the Babylonians in this sort of civil war, wild, wild west situation. And, and here the Lord tells them all of that is now is gone. You know, the, the English there translates, I'm, I relent of the disaster that I did to you. It's, it's done. It's, it's over. Now I'm, I'm going to build you up that, that time of, I mean, I guess just thinking about how, how Jeremiah is preaching throughout this book has been repent now, or you're going to die. Here, here are these people who are now hearing Jeremiah preached. The time of dying is over and, and here's grace. I mean, what a, like you said, we've been waiting for Jeremiah to preach like this. He's he's got some gospel in there. It's it's usually been just for the exiles, but here's an opportunity for the people who are still there in Judah to have that same that same gift of God, and and they're gonna just throw it away. I mean, it just like it makes the situation all the more heartbreaking that they're going to to simply reject this wonderful promise that the Lord is giving them when he's he's so clearly laying it out for them. And Jeremiah couldn't be clearer than he is here. And, and the gospel is so beautiful, and they're just going to say, nope, we're going to do our own thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just an amazing. It's, yeah. Again, they, you know, they've been wanting Jeremiah to give them some good news, and they, they finally get it. And it turns out that it didn't matter. You know, it didn't really matter what Jeremiah was saying. They, they were just unbelievers. They were going to unbelieve anything. They were going to unbelieve the law, and they're going to unbelieve the gospel. And it turns out, so, and, and this is a good, you know, Timothy, for us too, because I think that we sometimes in the church get this idea that, well, the unbelievers are just waiting for us to say the right thing, and then they'll become Christian, or waiting for us to do the right thing, or, you know, waiting for the church to put on the right perfume, and then they'll all come and be Christians. And No, the, the unbelievers are going to unbelieve. That's what they do best. And so it, it's not the message that's being, I mean, it is the message being rejected, but it's, it's everything is being rejected by them. And so they, they prove their own heart here uh, in the rejection of this sweet gospel that Jeremiah preaches to them. Well, I think that's a good reminder. And again, I'm reminded of Jeremiah's interactions with Zedekiah, where over and over again, you know, Zedekiah says, tell me something, pray for me. And, and Jeremiah simply repeats the same thing. And, and it, it is not believed by Zedekiah. And, and you, I mean, with Zedekiah, there were several times where you, you got the feeling that he, he wanted to, to listen to Jeremiah, but he was a very weak-willed. And ultimately, it's, it's because of his unbelief. And the same thing is true for these people here, that even however many years this is, it, it, we're not precisely sure, but not long after all this has happened, they've, they haven't, if I can say it this way, learned the lesson. They, they haven't taken the example of, of Zedekiah and these others to heart who refuse the word of the Lord, they're just going to keep refusing the word of the Lord. And I think what you say, you know, to the church today is, is spot on that it's, it's not necessarily the way that it's packaged. That's the problem. It's simply that people, they don't like the word of the Lord. They don't believe the word of the Lord. They're, they're sinners, they're unbelievers. And, and we should know, and this is the, the beauty of, of Lutheran doctrine is that, well, what is it that's going to actually do the work. Well, it's that word of the Lord. And, and that's where Jeremiah is a beautiful example to us, I think, of of continuing to preach that word of the Lord, even when he knows it's going to get him rejected. Here it's going to get him taken as a, a captive down to Egypt with these, these rebels. But what does he do? He keeps preaching the word of the Lord. And I think, you know, back 
back to, to Jeremiah chapter 18, in that same hope, in that same, you know, what is the Lord up to in all of it? Well, he's giving his word so that his people would hear that they would repent and believe and he would relent of the disaster and be gracious to them according to the gospel. That's exactly right. I mean, and and you see how it's there's something relentless about this this whole section at, at about the way the word of the Lord keeps coming. So, you know, I think you were mentioning at the at the intro about how a lot of times we think of this history and we sort of skip from destruction of Jerusalem to the edict of return and the deportation and everything, and we miss this these interludes and. Maybe what, it's because it's it is a little bit exhausting that you know here comes Babylon and here comes here's Zedekiah with his kids murdered in front of him and his eyes poked out and here's Jerusalem the temple falling and the lament and all the stuff and ah and then that's over Babylon Nebuchadnezzar's gone back the the governor's in place and we think okay now a little replete, reprieve but it just keeps coming the violence just keeps coming the trouble keeps coming and the Lord keeps coming at the people okay now here's your choice now now here. And here's a here's a way that I'll come and bless you. He gives them right in the midst of all these things. Here's a way I'll come and bless you. They can't they can't see it, but it's uh, there's something relentless about the whole thing. So even when we when we think we the day's done and we want to put our feet up after a long hard day, and then the phone rings again. That's kind of how this chapter is. Now the phone's ringing again and says, "No, don't leave. The Lord has another. He he's he's coming at you again, and he's setting up your faith and your sight to be at conflict again." So now you have to believe what you can't see, that Jerusalem is the best place for you. All the way, all the other time, you know Jerusalem was the worst place for you. Now Jerusalem is going to be the best place for you. And you got to believe what you can't see. And this this is the, the trouble that the people have with the, the Lord's word and the prophecy of Jeremiah. Right. I mean, because as you said, from a human perspective, what they propose here to go to Egypt makes perfect sense. They've they've been here when the Babylonian appointed governor has been murdered unlawfully, and, and they're convinced Babylon's going to come in and, and take them out again, which again, makes sense. So fleeing to Egypt from a human perspective, what they see, that makes sense. But here the Lord says, no, trust me, go ahead. And who knows what the condition of the conscience is here? Because I can't even figure out, Timothy, and maybe you have a better sense of this, but I can't even figure out what's right or wrong. Like, I can't sort out if what Ishmael did in the murder of Gedaliah, I mean, we it's called evil, but it, was he motivated by by righteous zeal? Look, Gedaliah, he's a Babylonian usurper. He's sitting on the throne of David. He needs to be put to death. He's capital punishment here. And then uh, and then what what Johanna does to, in, in the murdering of Ishmael, he's taking vengeance on him for an unlawful uh, trial and murder of, of Gedaliah, his men, and these other guys that came along. But is are any of them have any of them done right are they, are any of them motivated by what's good or what's what's evil um is it just a pure power struggle or are they trying to defend the lord's name and his kingdom i it's it's uh it's such a big mess and there's so much murder here and violence that it's maybe again not a surprise that the conscience is so twisted up that it's hard for them to see to see the wisdom of anything that jeremiah says yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. We, we kind of talked about this in previous episodes as to what are the motivations of these people? Who's who's right? Who's wrong? And I, I think your your sense of it's just sort of all a big mess. There's chaos, anarchy that's that's reigning. This is what it looks like when God is not your God, when, when you just go back to, as you, like you said, human neutral. That, you know, what, what strikes me throughout these chapters after the fall of Jerusalem is that so far, it, it seems the only person that's really taken the time to to look after Jeremiah, at least that's recorded for us, is actually the Babylonian commander, <laughs> Nebuzaradan. Yeah. You know, Nebuzaradan was the one who came and, and talked to Jeremiah and said, hey, you got a choice. You can go where you want. And and it's not until this chapter that anyone has even Gedaliah, who, who seems like if anybody's going to be on the right side, he seems like he would be because he comes from the right family. He's a, a grandson of Shaphan, who's that, that family has often helped Jeremiah in his ministry. But even Gedaliah hasn't at least ex- we're not explicitly told that he ever consulted Jeremiah. And it, it's not until now that that finally in this sort of, hey, we want to make sure that the Lord's on our side. And if he's not, well, we're just going to do our own thing. Now they're finally asking for the word of the Lord. And, and I mean, it just seems like everybody's conscience is still in the wrong place that they're not, they still haven't 
kind of figured it out that that what Jeremiah was preaching all along, this repentance and return to the Lord, that's what they need to do. And and even here, when the Lord certainly they don't deserve it, but but even now as the Lord extends his grace to them, they they still are in that same spot where they've been all along, even after experiences this great chastisement of the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? So so it's like um I don't it's uh you, you you just wonder how much um well we would wonder what does Jeremiah have to do? What does Jeremiah have to say? And then we realize there's nothing he can do. I mean it's just the the, the hardness of the human heart here is being explored and the and the boundaries of it are far beyond our comprehension. Hmm. Pastor Wolpmuller, we've got just under three minutes left on the morning, and we've we've looked at this text from a variety of angle, angles, and we, we've seen, again, we know where this is happening. The spoiler alerts have been given. We know where they're going to take this. As you reflect on this this text as a whole and in this portion of Jeremiah, how how is it from a text like this that we see Christ crucified? We know that, that all scriptures are given to give us faith in Christ. How mm-hmm. How is that happening mm-hmm. in this part of Jeremiah? Well, so you, um, we remember what Jesus says about Jeremiah and all the prophets that they were that they were rejected by the people that they were sent to bless. It's just amazing to see, uh, but that's that's how it goes. Not only with Jeremiah, but all the prophets until it even happens with Jesus who is rejected like all the prophets, like Jeremiah, and perhaps worse of all, he's crucified by his own people who he came to save, who uh, he came to bring the light into the midst of darkness, and the darkness did not receive him. It hated the light and rejected the light, and so Jesus died. But he died even for those who sit in darkness, that they might see the great light of Christ. And so uh, Jeremiah reminds us how it goes with God and with his word, even how it goes uh, with Jesus. And and we rejoice that um, that all through this, I mean, we see here, you, you know, Jerusalem is smoldering, and we wonder how in the world can God keep His promise? But from the from the root of Jesse, from the smoldering uh, bits of Jerusalem, the Lord is going to um, the Lord is going to raise up this righteous branch, and He will be our righteousness. And so the Lord keeps His promises, even in the midst of our faithlessness, and in the midst of our trouble. And that promise is finally yes and amen in Christ. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller is the pastor at Saint Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter forty-two, verses one to twenty-two. Pastor Wolfmuller, thanks for being our guest today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah or comments on the series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app. The open mic feature there allows you to send up to a 60-second message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.